gates open, off and Skyly Sensory stayed in the gate. There's Bo Rogue being set alight immediately by Cyril Small and racing to the lead. But Bo Rogue won't give up, he's still in front. Groucho's grabbing him now. Groucho coming at Bo Rogue, don't play, getting a rails run. Bo Rogue in front, he's got a heart as big as himself. He'll win, Bo Rogue! Bo Rogue has cracked it at last. This podcast is brought to you by Racing New South Wales, Sky Racing and Inglis. Many Central Coast holiday makers look forward each year to the Gosford Race Club's post-Christmas race meeting. Wednesday, December the 29th is the date to keep in mind for the running of the Group 3 Bell of the Turf for fillies and mares over 1,600 metres with a purse of $200,000. Co-feature race on the day will be the listed Gosford Guineas of 150,000 for the three-year-olds over 1,200 metres. The Gosford precinct has been earmarked for a major development in the near future with an $8 million New South Wales government funding package to construct an additional 200 on-track stables. Currently, there are around 80 horses in regular training at Gosford. That number is expected to rise sharply when the new accommodation becomes available. But for now, there's a great race meeting to focus on. Wednesday, December the 29th, the Bell of the Turf and the Gosford Guineas. Racegoers love the amphitheatre effect of the Gosford track. There's no friendlier place to go racing during the Christmas holiday. Peter Loss was never one to make a fuss, and that trait was very evident on Wyong Cup Day 2005 when he won an early race on a horse called Sparkling Sands for trainer Les Tilly. Peter had been thinking about retirement for quite a while, but he hadn't made it public. After winning on Sparkling Sands, he made the snap decision to forego his only other ride of the day and the curtain came down on a very distinguished career without the bells and whistles it deserved, but just the way Peter Losh preferred it. Peter had ridden his first winner on the same track 31 years earlier, the first of 1,300 winners for a jockey who had the respect of all sections of the industry throughout that long career. He didn't have time to miss the only job he'd known since becoming an apprentice at age 14. Within a month of quitting the saddle, he and wife Donna started a stationary business called Lake's Office Choice, which was up and running very quickly and continues to provide great service to Central Coast customers. Peter wandered away from the Central Coast only three times during that long career. He was stable jockey for Pat Quinn at Rose Hill after coming out of his time. There was a short stint in the UK and in the late 80s and early 90s, he spent five years on the Gold Coast. His ability to ride light not only brought him regular rides, but kept him out of the sweatbox while so many of his contemporaries were battling to stay in the game. His last winning ride was at Wyong, and so was his first. And I can still see pixie-faced Pete winning on a flashy chestnut called Punto for his master, Alan Bailey, in 1974. Many moons have passed since his distinguished career began. Let's take a trip down memory lane with Peter Losh, who's online from the Central Coast. 
Thanks for joining us, Pete. Good morning, John. It's my pleasure, and uh, thank you for that review. You've made me sound better than I am already, so <laughs> come on. very humbling. Lake's office choice is humming along again after tedious months of lockdown. You're back in full swing. Yes, yes, it was very quiet for a few months, but uh, things have picked up again now and all going well. It's, um, it's, it's There is a bit of a change here, whereas I'm not the boss anymore. My son's taken over the business, mm. Joel, and uh, he's got it going very well. Now I have to do as, as I'm told instead of giving the orders. <laughs> the boot's on the other foot. It certainly is. Yeah. The last time I was in that shop at Gosford was about a year after you retired and you and Donna were running the show with your daughter Gemma and you had a number of employees and you had appointed yourself chief delivery driver. You preferred the outdoors. Does that still apply? Yes, well, that's the job That's the job I get these days and, uh, you know, I pref- much prefer it. This in inside locked up is not my caper at all, but uh, if I can get out and on the road, and I, I love it. Mm. So. How you love the New South Wales Central Coast. You were born and reared in the Duralong Valley near Wyong, and your childhood fascination with animals soon led you to a nearby dairy farm owned by a man called Jack Sewell. How were they milking the cows in, in that era? Oh well, we had we had the machines, and uh, and all that. Of course, he it wasn't a you had a fifteen gallon quota, and there was you know I think milked about twenty cows, mm. and uh, you know kept him all very very busy. But um, what led me there was I found a pony mm. that we, had got out, and uh, I traced things back and found out that it belonged to Jack Sewell, and he said to me, well. You know, you can ride her whenever you want. Just come. Well, I'd go there and work on the farm and ride the horse and and uh, you know get the cows in on the horse. That was a highlight. But, um, Jack was a terrific man, great mm. fella. That little he, bay he mare actually, changed the course of your life, didn't she? Yes, yeah, she did. Yeah, she dropped me numerous times and <laughs> taught me a little bit of how to hang on because it was always bareback and that those days, but it was, yeah, terrific. You had a science master at school by the name of Doug Sharp, who was the first person to plant the seed about becoming an apprentice jockey. Yes, yeah, he used to he'd pull me up at school and go, how was I going and what was I thinking and any any thoughts of being a jockey? And I went, oh, it's not a bad thought, you know, so mm. it all... Uh, Stemmed from there, and he he was friends with the late Fred Allsop, and he said to me, "Perhaps you would uh, like to come and meet him, and you know, organise a start." And I said, "Yeah, sounds good to me." So we went to Gosford Races, which was the first time I'd ever been to the races. Was it? Mm. Yeah, after after school, down to down to the races, and uh, met Fred Allsop and organised things. So I special permission to leave school and um, because I was only 14 and a half. So down there I went and I stayed for about two days. Hated it. Oh, I've never been so homesick in my life. Yeah. Was, you know, mm. I just uh, 
had to get out and came back to Wyong and Alan Bailey and the rest is sort of history. Yeah, a strange <laughs> twist of fate led to your second attempt to become an apprentice. Uh, how did you find out Alan Bailey wanted a kid? Well, he'd, he'd been in touch with my family while in my two-day-away stay mm. to, to see, you know, where I was up to and because the grapevine around the Central Coast at that time was pretty small, you know, mm. and, and so he'd heard that I was interested to become a jockey and all that. So he... Uh, he contacted them and they went, oh, well, I'm afraid he's gone to Fred Allsop's. He started yesterday. Mm. And uh, anyway, the day after I was home. But they weren't going to tell me. They said, you know, you know you'll have to go back to school. And I went, oh, well, I guess if that's what I've got to do, it's what I've got to do. But mm-hmm. I wasn't real keen. And then they said, oh, well, Alan Bailey had rung while you were away and said, would you like to go for an interview? And he'd placed an ad in the meantime and yeah. anyway, I I got in there and had the interview and started a few days later and yeah, that was, that's how it all began. Alan Bailey uh, is a remarkable bloke, isn't he? At, at, early on, he was the greenkeeper at a local bowling club and he only had one horse in work. He was the original hobby trainer. So you'd wonder at that time how he was able to give you the tuition you needed. He wasn't even able to give you a lot of track work rides, was he? No, no. And and I was that tiny. At that stage, I'd ride and he'd lead me off the pony. Mm. So, you know, but, oh, we soon got going. His father had half a dozen in work and I used to ride for him, Eric Bailey. Yeah, I remember Eric, yeah. Yeah, and... Uh, so that was sort of my track work. And then there was the Tillies. I started to ride a few for them. And, you know, there was always Cole Harwood and Kevin Schubert. And there's a few about, you know. Mm. So, so uh, no, that that was the early days. And and um, I used to – Alan was the greenkeeper, so I learnt to mark a few rinks on the greens and, <laughs> and um, you know, move, move yeah. the irrigation and – we only had the one horse, but he he'd have to have an hour, an hour's brushing every day. Mm. So he was the most brushed horse in in Australia, I think. He'd look a treat. But, yeah, <laughs> yeah. He did. I'd get out there on the five gallon drum and you know the upside down feed bucket mm. and brush away, and uh, yeah. So, but yeah, that was about it. Alan spent the last twenty years of his training career. Based on the Gold Coast, he developed into a very astute trainer. He had tremendous success, retired maybe three or four years ago. Yes, yeah, he's done remarkably well, especially up there. He he put together a few premierships on the Gold Coast and mm. and that, so no, he's he's done extremely well. And and with apprentices as well. He had the ill fated Neil Williams and Craig Ayton and yeah. and uh, Troy Brendenberg and he's had I better be careful because I'll leave some out. But he's had mm. some quite successful jockeys go through his through mm. his hands. So yeah. Now, Peter, I can remember your first winner as though it were yesterday. I called the race for the Macquarie Network. It was it was at Wyong, as we mentioned earlier. It was a chestnut horse with two white stockinged feet behind, by the name of Punto, and uh, there was quite a 
a flurry of activity in the mounting enclosure. You had a lot of locals on side that day to give you a cheer and you didn't let them down. Yeah, well, it was, um, yeah, first first go and he was odds on favourite and four runners in the race. Mm. So, uh, yeah, he, he did well. I, I said, I think it's about the first time I ever beat Robert Thompson. And and uh, and probably the only. <laughs> yeah. Well, as we record this interview, uh, only a few days have passed since the legendary Robert Thompson announced his retirement. Uh, the tributes continue to flow for a great horseman, a great race rider, and a great bloke. Yes, unbelievable person, Rob. He was. He's. He uh, certainly could. Ride a race, read a race, read what was happening around him. He was among the best, and uh, you know I'm sure he'll be greatly missed. But uh, a wonderful rider, and he'll he'll be off for a great retirement. Alan Bailey also trained your first winner, Karush, who upset a very short price favourite one day at Rose Hill, and you had your nose out of joint. Uh, because you hardly got a mention in the Sunday papers. All they wanted to do was talk about the, the odds-on favourite you'd beaten. That's right. That's right. I, I, I thought I was I was king of the day and yet the rush to get the Sunday papers and here it is, honey queen flops. <laughs> <laughs> not, not Losh was brilliant. <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, As the winners flowed, city trainers started to chase your seven pounds claim. Reg Ferris was one Randwick trainer who took a shine to you. Reg trained a golden slipper winner many years before that birthday card. There you go. He, he was a wonderful man, very, very quiet, unassuming, but he, and he certainly knew his horses. Mm. He, he was very, very on the ball. Actually, that... I started the association with a horse called Speed Star. Yeah. Who uh, he raced at Gosford at a two-day meeting, and they thought he could win on the first day. And Jack Thompson rode him, mm. and uh, he, he ran a creditable race, but but uh, was beaten. And the the owners said, "Send him round again tomorrow, Reg. We'll, you know." I'll organise, we'll get a stable up here somewhere to keep him overnight and get a kid and put on him. And so anyway, they found Alan Bailey, said, yeah. have, you got a, have you got a stable for the night? So the horse came home with us Yeah. and uh, I rode him the next day and they said, just let him run. Well, he he led by about eight lengths down the back and, <laughs> in a mile a mile race and yeah. fell, fell in by a head. But then he went on with that style of racing and he won, you know, at Randwick and Canterbury. And mm. He won quite a few races. He was a good old horse. Mm, he was, and that started your association and your friendship with the Doyle family, legends in the seafood restaurant world, and I know that you uh, continue that association to this day. Yeah, yeah, they've been wonderful friends for 34, well, 40 years, so... Mm. Yeah, it's it's really good. We get together on the occasion and uh, be wonderful, wonderful people. Reg Ferris wasn't the only Sydney trainer who chased the services of the kid from Wyong with that very appealing claim. 
the late Ray Guy uh, was very supportive. Sir Rigoli is one horse that you rode quite a bit. Yeah, he was an amazing kid's horse, you know. He'd... he'd uh, he he knew the rules. He'd just come out, come out of the barriers and settle, and then when it was time to go, he'd pick the bit up and take you there. Mm. You know, he he was just a great old welder horse, and yeah, we won a couple of races on him. It was good. Mm. Yeah, but as you say, Ray Guy, he supported me a lot, gave me a lot of rides and a lot of winners in those days. Yeah, he was a great apprentice's trainer, Ray. He often had two or three apprentices himself in the stable, and uh, he'd put them on if they could sit on. That's right, my word, yeah. One yes. really nice horse you rode for your boss, Alan Bailey, in the early days was Oren Moore. Uh, I was looking at an old photograph of him the other day. He looked like a stunning little fella. Yes, yeah. He, he, uh, he came over from New Zealand and his trainer, the name just escapes me at the moment, but he... he uh, always wanted him to lead you know he said he was a front runner he won all his races in mm. new zealand leading and anyway you'd push him to the front and push him to the front and actually pat murray pulled alan aside and said that horse you're leading on him all the time why don't you give him a chance to settle and finish mm. the race off a bit mm. so anyway we we uh, he was in a welder at warwick farm and i think it was warwick farm and he said uh, that we decided to just ride him a little bit quiet, and he finished off and blew them away, you know. Then he then he came out and won the pace setter at Gosford, and then he won the June Stakes. Yeah. And and then he was off to um, Brisbane. He he was top weight in a Doombin ten thousand, but he'd sort of come to the end of it by that time. And yeah, mm. but he was a he was a great little sprinter. Mm. You rode him in the pace setter and the June Stakes. Yes, yeah. Mm. The unforgettable Pat Murray was very good to young Peter Losh. Pat was an old-world horseman with a perpetual twinkle in his eye. Yes. And, and he had a wicked sense of humour. Gee, you wrote a lot of winners for PJ Murray. I did, I did. He was a lovely man, there's no doubt about that. He, uh, and he, he taught me so much about riding horses in a distance race, you know, to mm. to – get them to settle and so many times he'd, he'd go, why did you dig it out of the barriers? Mm. And I go, I didn't, I didn't. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. You just yeah. got to come out and drop on his neck and, you know, mm. because I was taught up here and it was, you know, get out and ride him out of the gates and put him in a position and, you know, mm. sort of sprint sprint style racing. But it was there to uh, – and he, he taught me to get mm. the horse to relax and – everything so it was he was fantastic mm. part of it yeah. Peter it's, it's quite uh, amazing to think that a, a trainer on the ground not a fellow jockey but a trainer was responsible for teaching you to ride over a trip yeah well that's right but, uh, you know he he'd he'd watch a race and just go oh he shouldn't be back there they're going too slow or he you know mm. he, he should he should be further forward. He's yeah. you know he he was a fantastic at watching a race and mm. and reading the race. You know, mm. but, you won some races for Pat on probably the biggest horse you ever sat on. His name was Such Fun. 
He had back problems because of his size, but he had enormous ability. He was he was just a machine, John. He was unbelievable horse. He'd 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 just come out of the gates and lob along, and he was like sitting in a grandstand. He was he was eighteen hands. Oh, yeah. I I couldn't reach his wither mm. to get to get on. I'd have to, you know. Grab on the way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he was he was so big, but when when you'd ask him for an effort, he would he would just lengthen stride and lower to the ground like unbelievable. He was an amazing horse to to ride, you know. Mm. Jack and Bob Ingham owned a horse. Uh, maybe I'm not sure. Twenty years ago, by the name of Holy Roller. He won a few races in Sydney. He was every bit of 18 hands. And people were asking at the time, when was the last time you saw one as big as him? And you know what? I think such fun is the horse. Yes. Yeah, well, there you go. Yeah, remember Holy Roller. He was a giant too, yeah. Mm. Soon after you came out of your time, you received a very tempting offer from Rose Hill trainer Pat Quinn champion bloke and a great horseman, and you jumped at it. Yes, well, Pat Pat really supported me when I didn't have the claim, and we had a lot of luck together, and uh, he was a terrific guy to work with and, and that as well, lovely man, and uh, he, had, he had some good horses. Uh, he had a mare that comes to mind called Lady Archon. Mm. She... Like she won a, um, she won the Queen of the Turf, which is now a Group One. Yeah. She she uh, she won an AHA Cup. She won a you know, she won a stack of races. She was very good. Did she win a Liverpool um, City Cup? Another stakes she, win for you? Yes, she did. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And I think of he had Flexi Time. I think he won a Pace Setter. Yes. As well, and uh, he was a great little horse. Mm. Um, yeah, no, he he had a a good team, had a few for the Inghams and yeah. you know a lot of outside ones, and he he uh, mm. he was put me on everything he could. He was really really good to me, Pat. He suffered um, a dreadful fate, of course, in an accident at Canterbury Races on a Wednesday. He was saddling a horse and a very big horse uh, in the uh, you know in the race day stalls. And the horse jammed him against one of the rails, and uh, I'm not sure what the medical problem was, but I know it cost Patty's life. Yes, yeah, it was. I think cardiac arrest, but it was just yes. terrible, 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 untimely thing to happen. It was, yeah. So, because I say, lovely man, a great fellow. To you know, he was uh, loved his horses. You know, and just to. Really sad thing at the prime where he was, you know, moving to Port Macquarie, setting up, just mm. ch- changing lifestyle and all that. Yeah, and and that happens. It was very tough. Mm. Pat wasn't the only Rose Hill trainer to jump on the bandwagon uh, because of your ability to ride so light. Ray Guy used your services a lot. So did Vic Thompson Senior and Vic Thompson Junior. Paul Sutherland would put you on from time to time and another 
a smaller Rosehill trainer who could get one ready better than most was the late Curly Edgar. Yes, yes. He was a, he was a wonderful guy, Curly, uh, and a character. Yes, he was. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, Pete, let re- yeah. me remind you of this. In the early 1980s, a British racing journalist called Geoffrey Ross was in Sydney and you got to meet him. He invited you to come to the north of England. He offered you accommodation at his home and he all but guaranteed you race rides. You decided to go by yourself, which wasn't your usual custom, and you got pretty lonely. Yes, I did. I uh, Well, he asked me to go the first year out of my time, and I went, I knocked it back. I said, no, I'm not sort of ready for that sort of thing. And and then I, I he asked me again the next year, and I went and had a good talk to Jack Thompson. Mm-hmm. And uh, who was always always had an ear for you. He was a terrific man, and uh, he he said, "I can't tell you whether it'll be good or not." But mm-hmm. I, he said, "I know one thing: if you don't go, it'll be something that you'll regret for the rest of your life." Yes, so, Tomo. Yeah, Tomo was right. Yeah, yes. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, Went over there and I was with Jeffrey Ross for a few weeks and a couple of weeks anyway. Mm. And I said, I'm only here for three months. Where's these rides? What are we doing? And yeah. Anyway, I went to the Epsom Derby and uh, I met Scobie Breasley. That was a stroke of good fortune. Unbelievable. He yeah. said, why don't, you, why don't you come down to Epsom and, you know, I'll get you a few rides. And yeah, Scobie like, was training at Epsom by then. That's right, yes. Yeah. And uh, he, he, uh, of course, Lester had the number one retainer for mm. all of Scobie's horses, so obviously Lester had the pick of the rides, but Scobie took me down there, got me a flat to stay in. Oh, yeah. uh, I used to go to his place for Sunday lunch and, oh, it made me feel at home, just such him and, and his wife, May, and daughter, Loretta, and, mm. uh, you know, it was just, a, a terrific thing, you know. Great experience, they made, yeah. They made me feel at home and it was a great experience and, you know, he'd go and check the horses morning and night and had these big um, Alsatian dogs he'd take to the track and, <laughs> you know, and to gallop them on the downs and everything. It was, yeah, yeah. amazing. Now, Pete, Scobie at the time owned a cherry red Rolls Royce which was his usual mode of transport to race meetings. Now, on more than one occasion, you'd return to the rolls to find the great man sound asleep in the passenger seat. Yeah, yeah. And he'd say, uh, you can drive, can't you? (laughs) (laughs) I went, yep, sure can. You drove the rolls, eh? I drove the rolls. Mm. And Scobie would go to sleep. It was, uh, yeah, pretty amazing car. Mm, yep. I had a ride in that uh, on my first trip to England to call the Derby in 1971. I went out to Epsom and Scobie said, I'm just about to work some horses on the downs. He said, jump in the car and I'll take you for a run round and we'll watch them. So yeah. out I go, and here is this gleaming cherry red Rolls Royce parked outside his office. Yes. 
Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you know, he was a he was a a ter- terrific bloke, really really funny man. Because you no, know, his his wife May, she'd go, uh, Scobie, have you done this? Scobie, have you done that? And he'd just go, Yes, dear. Yes, dear. <laughs> Sometimes he'd get the yes, dear out before the question was asked. You know? <laughs> He's not yeah. the first married man to use the expression, yes, dear, I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. It, it stayed with me a little bit, I've got to admit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there was another expatriate Aussie there at the time by the name of Philip Reed, who had some horses accommodated at Scobie's stables. Uh, what about the old stables uh, known as South Hatch? Couldn't that take you back in time? Oh, unbelievable. Real real history. But every everything there was just immaculate. You know, there wouldn't be a stone unturned. It was unbelievable. Terrific setup. Yeah. Well, I'm sure many of our listeners will want to know whether or not you rode a winner in England. You rode two, in fact, one of them at Sandown and one of them at Brighton, and not every Australian jockey can boast that. Yeah, yeah, well, it was, it was, it was good. To, it's always good to ride a winner no matter where it is, but no, it was, I certainly wouldn't have liked to come home without them. <laughs> so, no, it was no. great. Yeah. Now, you tell one very good story about Lester Piggott, who was, as you said, retained by the Breezley stable at the time. You were drawn right alongside him one day in the barrier. Yes, yeah, at Brighton. Yeah. <laughs> and he, he said, uh, where do you think I'll be running? And I said, well, the trainer tells me I'll be running fourth or fifth, but I've never ridden the horse before, so that's that's what I'll try. He said, you follow me. Mm. He said, I'll, I'll be third or fourth. You follow, get on my back. So I followed him right through the race, but uh, away away went Lester and I had nothing left. But, mm. yeah, but he, oh, he was terrific to me. He gave me a few pointers, all the different tracks and everything because, you know, I think I rode on 28 different tracks while I was there. Mm. So I was – you know, left-handed, right-handed, left-end, right-handed, figure eights. It was, you know. (laughs) Great experience. Yeah, terrific, terrific. Now, years after that, you caught up with Lester again and I happened to be there on the day. Now, we'll deal with that after this break on the podcast. Pete, if you'd be kind enough to stand by, back in a moment. Mitovite has been producing high-quality feeds and supplements for all walks of equine life for almost 40 years. Mitovite has become a household name in racing and breeding circles with products like Athlete, Formula 3 and Breeder, time-tested products in the breeding barn and on the racetrack. 26 thoroughbred Group 1 winners this season have been on a Mitovite feeding regime. From humble beginnings on the New South Wales Central Coast, Mitovite has become a world leader in equine nutrition. Infrastructure investment in the production mill and close attention to nutritional science keeps Mitovite at a standard of excellence developed over four decades. Check the website, mitovite.com, or follow the Mitovite Racing and Breeding Facebook page. The Mitovite brand has earned the respect of horse people all over the world. 
My special guest is former jockey Peter Losh, and we're talking about his stay uh, in England when he got to know the great Lester Piggott, and he caught up with Lester again in Australia many years later. Now, Lester had arrived in Sydney for a brief stay with his great friend Kevin Connolly, an Irishman who was training on a property at Kalnura. Now, I went there with a Sky Channel film crew to record an interview with Connolly about some runners he had at Randwick the following day. Lester rode a couple work for Kevin on the private track. And who should be on the stable, mates? None other than P. Losh. Were you doing some work for Connolly at the time? Yes, I was. I used to go up there a couple of days a week and uh, ride a few. He had some very nice horses there and, uh, yeah, we had a few winners together, and which was good. And, uh, yeah, Lester came out and, as you say, was there and, and uh, we worked together. Our times might have been a little bit quick because if they, if they wanted to run, Lester ran with them. Did he? But, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but no, he, he was very good. Terrific fella. Now, that private track, Pete, was a state of the art, wasn't it? Beautiful surface, as I recall. Yes. Yeah, well, it, it was originally done by Larry Pickering. Mm. Uh, and uh, and then it sort of closed down for quite a while. And then Kevin Kevin and their team got there and put a lot of, lot of work into it. And... Uh, yeah, it was it was a really great surface. You had an Terrific. enormous number of rides in thirty-one years, but you'd have to say you were one of the lucky ones when it came to injuries. You never broke an arm, you never broke a leg, but nobody could break a collarbone like you could. They finished up calling you the clavicle king. <laughs> yeah, you'd think I would have learnt, wouldn't you? <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> No yeah. broken arms, no broken legs, 47 broken collarbones. <laughs> well, seven anyway. <laughs> yeah. 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 It was amazing. What did you put that down to? Oh, uh, well, I, I guess I'd, I don't know, you'd go to roll and straight into your shoulder. I yeah, exactly. You, yeah. You must have been the envy of many of your fellow jockeys over those 31 years. You could ride the limit on your ear. Was the limit still 48 when you started? Yeah, well, it was 47 and a half in town. Yeah. 48 at the provincials. Mm. Yeah, 47 in Brisbane. So, yeah. yeah. Un- uh, unthinkable today, isn't it? Oh, incredible. Yeah. Incredible. It's You, you know, look, the other day in town, minimum weight 55. Yeah. It's, you know, well, the, the top weight's, used to have to carry 54. So, you know, if it's if at acceptance time they were lower than that, they raised the top weight to 54. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's it's amazing. Now 54 is a lightweight. Yeah, my It used word. to be the top. And, and so. funny thing, and, and jockeys, many jockeys struggle to ride at the 54. Yes, yeah, yeah. Well, because the they're girls, bigger blokes. The girls bigger are blokes. really coming in. Yeah. And, Pete, I'm sure that's the reason. Uh, they're not as tall, they're not as heavy, and they're ten times keener. Yep, that's right, yes. But, you know, I looked at the results yesterday at uh, Coomer, I think it was, mm. and uh, 
um, what's his name? The Campbell. Young fella, Campbell Rewilla rode the first winner yeah. and the girls rode the rest of the program. Yeah, I see that. Mm. Yeah. So That ability so. to ride at a featherweight uh, brought you many rides in major handicap races. You went around in any number of Doncasters and Epsoms and Metropolitans, quite often for Tommy Smith. No luck in those races, but nice to be asked. Exactly right, yeah. Well, TJ, had, you know, before noms, would always say, don't take a ride in the Epsom, don't take a ride in the Doncaster, you know, because he? He, he always had lightweight rides and, mm. you know, and occasionally they'd, they'd bob up. So mm. it, it didn't happen in, to me, but, you know, it was great to go around in them. You did run second for TJ Smith in a Group 1 one day. It was the Spring Champion Stakes of 1978. You rode a horse called March to Glory. Robert Thompson won the race on a stable mate called Just a Steel. But you tell me that might be the one that got away. Yes, yeah. We, we went over the mile crossing and the saddle slipped forward and uh, I was in trouble from there on. But uh, yeah, so he with without that happening, I'd say he definitely would have won the race, you know. Mm. But uh, R. Thompson again. Yeah, and and finish riding, finish riding only weeks ago. Yep, yep. The only thing good about it was my mother and and Robert's mother used to take the Quinellas. Did they? With, <laughs> with Robert and I, but you know. Yeah. He was usually first and I was usually second, so. <laughs> so. They made us better than 10th. Exactly right. Oh, exactly, yeah. yeah. In later years, you enjoyed tremendous rapport with a number of Wyong trainers. Easily the most significant was Ron Tilly, who was to become your father-in-law. That's right, yes. they uh, The Tillys were terrific from the start right till the end and uh, – we had a lot of wins together and, yeah, terrific. And, uh, of course, the best thing that came out of the Tillies was their daughter, Donna. So, yeah, been my wife for 40 years and yeah. You're terrific. A, she's obviously listening. Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> Good no, luck. but she probably will down the track. Yeah, she'll hear the replay. That's right. Now, Pete, you rode many winners for trainers like Colin Harwood, his daughter, Kim Craft, uh, Rod Bailey, Neville McBurney, and an expatriate New Zealander called Brian Smith, who actually started uh, his Australian training career at Wyong. Now, all these years on, you regard him as one of the best trainers you ever work with. Yes, yes. He had a magnificent eye for a horse and its condition and... You know, he he'd train them at out at the farm, not far from the track, and bring them in a couple of mornings a week, and he'd have a plan what the horse had to do, and then he'd say just walk it round, mm. and you'd be walking it round, and then he'd completely change the work. You know, according and, to how the horse looked, according to how it looked, yeah, and then. Uh, Inevitably, they'd, they'd come out and win or run very, very well. You know, mm-hmm. it was terrific, terrific eye. Great eye. Still training in Brisbane uh, with a yeah. small team, but, gee, 
uh, often bobs up with a winner. He certainly does, yeah. His mm. success rate's very good. Do you remember a day at Rose Hill in late 1984 when you and Brian snared a double with King's Promise and We Own a Devil? Yes, yeah, yeah. They were two fairly smart horses. Actually, King's Promise went on and won the Townsville Cup on him. That was mm. a bit of the, – the owner came from Townsville. Yep. And uh, he he wanted to have a runner in the in the Townsville Cup and Brian had trained him right up and then they transferred him to a trainer at Townsville. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, he was lucky enough to win that. So you, you flew up and rode him in the Townsville Cup? Yes, yeah. That was a kick. Oh, it was great. I loved it up there. Yeah. I, I came home and said to Donna, I think we'll go up there. Mm-hmm. I said, we'll get this glass bottom boat business and, mm-hmm. you know, ride on the – they race every Saturday and <laughs> – she said, you can go if you want to. Yeah, you can go on your own. I'm staying <laughs> yeah, here. that's <laughs> it. <laughs> so that, that was short-lived, that idea. The other horse I mentioned, we own a devil. Uh, he was a good horse to you. You got two separate hat tricks on we own a devil with a second in between them. So he went three, then a second, and then another three. That's hard yes. to do. It is hard to do, my word. He he was a nice, big, strong horse too. Now, in the late 1980s, you turned up on the Gold Coast. I think Alan Bailey must have had something to do with it. Yes, yes. They uh, gave me a call to go up and and, uh, we discussed it for a while and then off we went and settled there for five years. But yeah. Once again, the lure of Wyong mm. took over, but we had a great time up there, met some wonderful lifelong friends and and all that, and we we uh, had quite a bit of success. It, it was good. I rode for mm. quite a few different trainers and because I, I used to ride for Jimmy Atkins a bit when he'd bring them down. I uh. had a, a very good horse for him down here actually called Dalrello. Yeah. And uh, – and uh, I had a, quite a few rides for him and John Wallace and Henry Davis and mm-hmm. um, um, the late Harold Norman, uh, not the late Harold Norman, Harold Norman, he was yeah. great, but I'm thinking of from Kembla, Howard Wilson. Mm. Up there. He had a good mare called uh, Come On Eileen. Yeah. She, she won a few um, listed races and that, so. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, the late Howard Wilson, another former successful trotting trainer who turned to the thoroughbreds. That's right. What did you yes. say about Del Rello, Peter? Did you uh, – Jim Atkins brought Del Rello to Sydney in the 1970s. Yes. Yeah, I, I rode him in a lead-up race, I think. What, I'm not sure what he – did he win a Doncaster? Yes, he certainly did. A Don, he, he won a Doncaster in Australian record time. Did yeah. you ride him before that? I rode him before that in a 1,200-metre race. He, ran, right. he flew home and ran second. I didn't realise that. Yeah. Gee, yeah. Well, what, he, a, what a great horse he was. He was, and a beautiful sort of a horse. Mm. Yeah. Well, surely, uh, having had one race ride on him, you'd have to rate him as the best horse you ever rode in a race. Yes, I guess I guess so. I guess so, yeah. Mm. 
Well, you rated Lightning Ben pretty highly. Uh, during your time on the Gold Coast, you won two really good races on Lightning Bend, uh, the Eyeliner Stakes at Ipswich, a listed race, and the Sunshine Coast Sprint, which is now known as the Glass House. Uh, lovely little horse. He uh, did a great job for his Coffs Harbour trainer, Gerald Flick. Yes, he certainly did. He he was a he was a wonderful little horse. He one of those that'd just ping out, be straight on the speed, go to sleep, and then dash. You know, mm-hmm. he was he he. Uh, well, he he went to Melbourne, won the William Reid, I think. Yes, he Wayne did. Wayne Harris rating. Ran yeah. second in a Newmarket. Yes. And ran yeah. second in a Futurity Stakes. There you go. Yep. He, he was a wonderful little horse. Yeah. And he won 630000 all up uh, back then. And you tell me, Pete, he was a push-button ride, was he? Yes, fair, unbelievable. Yeah, mm. lovely ride, yeah. Now, yeah. back to your last day at Wyong when you decided to call it quits after riding that early winner, Sparkling Sands. Now, I <laughs> probably shouldn't bring this up, but you shifted in pretty sharply in the straight and you slightly inconvenienced another runner, which got you a four-day suspension because of your previous impeccable record. Um, It was your first suspension. Now, all jockeys should listen to this, Pete. That was your first suspension in 1,200 rides. Right. Yeah, well. Amazing. That's good. I I might have... uh, might have learnt something because uh, I didn't go twelve hundred in the early days. No, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I was a bit more regular. Yeah, but uh, yeah, no, that, no, that's good. But, well, that's uh, it's great testimony to your regard for the safety of your fellow jockeys. Yes. Oh well, you've you've uh, you expect them to look after you, and you know you've got to look after them. That's the way it is. Well, Peter Losh, you can look back on a career in which you unfailingly did the right thing, the right thing by owners and trainers, the right thing by fellow riders, and most importantly, the right thing by an industry that had been very good to you. It's been a great pleasure to have you on the podcast, Pete, and one final request before you go. Next time you're in Sydney in that delivery van, could you drop me off half a dozen exercise books and a couple of hundred sheets of A4. Thank you. No problem at all, John. <laughs> yeah, that, that'll be great. No, thank you very much. Very humbling. You've, you've uh, made me sound better, as I said, than, than I probably was, but I really appreciate it. There'll be many who don't agree with that, mate. You did a wonderful job for a long, long time, and it's a great delight to have you on the podcast, produced by Supernova Sound. Thanks, Peter. The catalogue for the 2022 English Classic Yearling Sale is now available. A total of 810 yearlings have been finalised for the sale, 600 in Book 1, 150 in the Highway Session, all to be offered at Riverside between February 6 and 8. 700 of the entries are Bob's eligible and there are Vobus, Westspeed and QTIS yearlings also on offer. There's an enormous range of proven stallions represented as well as first crop yearlings by exciting newcomers like Justify, The Autumn Sun and Trapeze Artist. 
the classic sale has seen unprecedented growth in recent years with 10 individual Group 1 winners since 2018. Eight of those have been purchased for $100,000 or less, while 14 graduates have won a million dollars or more in the same period. The classic sale gets the English show on the road for 2022 on February 6, 7 and 8 at Riverside. And the catalogue is out now.